for We Teach Me. This is the Masters Series, where industry professionals share their secrets to business success. I'm Sadfil Shenelmish from Written and Recorded. I've always thought I peaked too early because I ran my family's kebab caravan long before food trucks became a thing. I found it exciting working in the family business, but of course, it's not without its difficulties. Georgia Beatty is a former CEO of Startup Victoria and now runs Corporate Venturing Australia. But her story begins in the family wine business. I'd really taken a business into another direction and so Dan's really good being hands-on with things. So he loved the manufacturing side and the production side. We bought a lot of wine, so those sort of big petrol tankers you see on the road, we had 40 of those setting up to the factory a day full of wine. So he would sort of come in there, my brother, who's now a sommelier for Heston Bloomingdale and a few people over in London, he would sort of come in and be the wine quality person. So I think that's the thing with family business. It's emotionally, you need to do it. We'll hear from Georgia soon. But first, Penelope Sattler. She's the general manager of her family's golf course on the spectacular north coast of Tasmania. In this fireside chat with We Teach Me's Wayne Lewis, Penelope says while there are some challenges working with siblings and parents, she really likes her family and is really proud of their achievements together. We work in golf and I actually studied hotel management at university. So I did a Bachelor of International Hotel Management. I worked overseas for a little while and then moved back to Hobart in Tasmania and was working there and my dad gave me a call and said that they're building another golf course and could I be part of the opening team and probably move into the general management role when that opened and I said I'd love to. So that was how that began. It wasn't your dad's passion to run a golf course in the first instance. Did that start off as a farm? Yeah, that's exactly right. Barnboogle's actually a farming property so we have beef and potatoes and the land that was turned into the golf course is actually non-used coastal land, basically. None of us are golfers. Dad wasn't a golfer either, but he was approached by someone to have a look at developing the coastal land into a golf course. And then we had a few Americans that were in golf architecture come and have a look, and they said that they thought that it could be one of the best golf courses in the world. So he said that was probably an opportunity that he couldn't turn down. So decided that he'd make a go of it and see what he could do. So it's not a traditional golf course in the sense that there's memberships and that it's you have to be very wealthy or from a particular family or something to play. It's very open to everybody, very easy going. We need numbers and we try to be more a hospitality resort rather than a really strict golf resort. So that's how, yeah, we've probably changed the golf industry a little bit like that. And if you go back to those days of when your dad was making that decision, whether to sell that land or to develop that land, was that a difficult process? Yeah, I think it was. He leased the land originally, but was also part of the group that put the funds together for the golf course. And then over time, it kind of fell over and additional funding was needed. And he basically picked it up and underwrote it and went from there essentially. So from what began as probably just leasing the piece of land for a really good golf course, he ended up 
probably seeing that there was maybe something more that he could do as well. And he had hospitality in his blood. He'd been in it for a very long time before he was in farming. So I think he thought that he could apply the hospitality knowledge that he had to the golf concept and went from there. So your dad was a big inspiration. Did you pick up some tips on the farm in terms of the business acumen as well? I think I decided because I didn't really know what to do. And I found that there were so many other courses that I kind of looked at medicine or law or something like that. And I didn't want to be necessarily a doctor at the end or a lawyer. Like I was so unclear about what I wanted to do, whereas international hotel management was more an international business degree. And there was six months study at uni and then actually a six month placement somewhere in the world. So it was very much, I don't know, it felt more like a modern university where you weren't actually kind of stuck studying all year round and then you waste three months holiday, you kind of worked and studied at the same time. So I suppose you got it done a little bit quicker got to travel a little bit internationally and yeah it was fairly open-ended at the end with kind of a business degree I mm -hmm. suppose. Was there any pressures to go into the family business? Was it an expectation? I don't think so. I mean obviously they wanted us to be part of it but for me it was really about being closest to and being around the person that I found the most inspiring in business that I knew. So probably a mentor, I guess, was actually my father. Sounds a little bit silly, but just meant that I could be around somebody every day that could teach me so much and actually was willing to teach me so much, not hold back on what they were willing to share because they didn't really want me to know if, mm. if I asked or if he could share it, he would share it because I was family and it was worth me knowing. So what's your current role today? I'm the general manager, so I oversee the golf courses and the resort and basically just the kind of day-to-day -day running and strategic planning of the property. You were talking about 150 employees as well. That must be quite a challenging aspect of your role. Yeah. yeah. What's the most challenging aspects of managing 150 um, people? Managing 150 people. <laughs> There's a lot of personalities and everybody has a good day or a bad day and that kind of thing. So I suppose just getting people to work together because offering a really good hospitality experience, you need to be pretty united in your goal and one person can let the whole team down and ruin all the guests' experience or stay while they're there. So every employee needs to be aware of how we want the guests to feel while they're there. Really, I just have to make sure that they're happy and getting along together and that kind of thing so that they can present themselves in the way that we would want. And with it being a family business then, are there any challenges, the dynamics within the family? Yeah, it's definitely not easy all the time. I, we are lucky because we get along really well, but I'm one of four children and we all have some role that we play within the company and I think that's difficult as well. But yeah, we get along really well and we're pretty clear with our communications. Definitely been times where we've conflicted on things and I suppose the hard thing about being in family is that it's very emotional when it comes to something like that. You're probably more expressive than you would be mm -hmm. if it was just with a management team that you worked with every day, but you'd naturally live with. And so it can be difficult sometimes, but it's good. Yeah. Like and it. do you ever set aside certain times, you know, this is definitely family time where we need to completely detach from work? We try, but it always comes back to business. Okay. I think if it's dinner, there's a discussion and even if you're out somewhere else, you're monitoring what they're doing or the service they're providing and discussing it and whether you could do something better or take something from that as well. So, yeah, I don't think you really turn off. Maybe overseas, if we're travelling together, we might, but that's about all. So what are some of the best things about 
working within a family business? I don't know. I really like my family, so I suppose that's probably a good thing. Um, but all the achievement and all the success that comes, you all share. And I think that's just such a huge thing because you get to, you say Christmas or something like that, and you can celebrate the year that you've had. And it's really important to celebrate the little wins as well. But yeah, I think just really people that are fully invested in what you're doing and what they're doing and being able to celebrate together. It's, yeah, it's really cool. If you think about future generations of the family business then, have you had those discussions? Yeah, not so much because none of us have children yet, but I think definitely we kind of see ourselves as just the guardians of what's there at the moment to look after and hopefully improve and grow in our lifetime and then pass it on to the next generation for them to do the same thing. And hopefully it's something that will last for years and years to come, not be busted apart in the next generation or this generation or something like that through conflict or something. So very aware of kind of the succession planning, I think, that needs to take place to make sure that it's something that will be around for a long time. Can we have a round of applause for Penelope Sattler? Thank you very much. Sounds like Penelope has a really realistic understanding of just how hard it can be to keep a family business going and prospering. I hope it continues well into the next generation too. Thanks Penelope. In just a moment, we'll go corporate venturing with Georgia Beattie. Masters Series is presented by We Teach Me. Before you start a business with your family, why not take a class with them? Learn how to make prosciutto, duck, or truffles, then eat the profits together. Prime your family business at weteachme.com. This podcast is produced by Written and Recorded. Built on family experience in radio broadcasting, Written and Recorded are able to capture stories that don't often get told. Introduce us to your mum at writtenandrecorded.com. And now, back to the podcast. Thanks, Ad Guy. Georgia Beattie had spent two years as CEO of Startup Victoria between launching her own businesses. But it was working in the family wine business where she cut her entrepreneurial teeth and underwent a bit of child labour in the interests of family business success. In this fireside chat with We Teach Me's Wayne Lewis, Georgia says together her family all played to their strengths and when the going got tough, they play to their weaknesses as well. I guess the family business, so my father was making wine at the time in the Yarra Valley and also importing French oak wine barrels and selling those to a lot of the large wineries in Australia. And also had a passion for wine. So my brother and I grew up with child labour on the vineyard picking grapes and, um, and, and, all the, seven. No. and all the things, I didn't say that, you said that, <laughs> and all the things that in a family business you've just got to fill the gaps because they need to be done. It's not can you do it or it's not about trying, it's just about getting it done. And so that gave me an understanding of one, how to run business and also understand the landscape of wine in Australia. And so I actually went and studied entrepreneurship over in the States and when you study entrepreneurship, you sort of need to have a context to apply it to and have a bit of an understanding of an industry that you're wanting to start a business in. And so I came back from Boston and I was actually at a 
the Laneway Music Festival and they wouldn't serve me a glass of wine. And I asked them why and they said, oh look, wine can't be served outdoors because of the glass, beer and spirits come in a single serve, but wine we have to pour it, it's such a pest, so you can't have wine, you can have beer or you can have spirits. And so being that 23 year old uni student is like, well clearly I need to solve this really big human problem. And so started a business that made a single serve glass of wine. So I went home from that music festival and got a plastic wine glass and poured wine into it and got my housemates iron and ironed on some foil onto the top and ruined the iron, but it wasn't mine, so it was fine. But that was my prototype. And so then I went and raised money and built a manufacturing line and had a big manufacturing plant here in Melbourne, but our markets were all overseas. And right the way through that, I was still sort of straddling the family business and my brother and father were in, in my business as well. So all the lines were blurred. Mm -hmm. Are they still involved today or how's... Well, I sold the company mm -hmm. in early 2016 because yep. it grew very quickly over those six years and sort of turned into a bit of a, a very different company to the company my father has now. And because I had studied entrepreneurship, it was all about exits and all these things. Having the plan? Yeah, well, having a business plan. I actually wrote a business plan. I mean, we had grown to the point where we had offices in Japan and Korea, Taiwan and China, and we sort of... I needed to probably inject a whole heap more working capital into the business, like a good sort of $30 million, which I would have had to go to the market for. So it was whether I wanted to stay in that business or sell it, and I just had an offer out of the blue from Europe for the business who wanted the airlines and the hotel minibars that we served in China. So I ended up taking that offer. And it was an exhausting business. I had no idea what I was getting into and neither did dad. And it was really interesting hearing Penny speak before about it's a really nice environment to grow and learn and have that transparency in. You haven't got sort of your traditional management structure where there are secrets and other people's careers that are more of a priority. It's about getting the job done in the most efficient way. That's also the healthiest way. And so there weren't lines. I'd really taken a business into another direction and so while we had the dad's really good being hands-on with things so he loved the manufacturing side and the production side we bought a lot of wine so those sort of big petrol tankers you see on the road we had 40 of those setting up to the factory a day full of wine and so he would sort of come in there my brother who's now a sommelier for Heston Bloomingdale and a few people over in London he would sort of come in and be the wine quality person so everyone would just sort of play to their strengths and then if they had to play to their weaknesses because we needed to fill some gaps but I think that's the thing with family business it's that there are no lines it's emotionally you need to do it and some of your strengths then forming partnerships was a big one for you and obviously you talk about overseas and the manufacturing process and resourcing those type of things can you shed a little bit of light around your skill set there and what was important to your business at that time yeah I mean when you're an entrepreneur you sort of need to be on the forward facing element of whatever it is that next growth phase is and so for me, I had this manufacturing line that was just belting out wine glasses. And at that point, we were serving to all the, the AFL, all the stadiums and the festivals and things. And then I thought, shit, I need to go and find a market for this wine that's pumping out of the factory. So I had to go overseas very quickly. And my brother is probably a more detailed, well thought out person where I'm sort of like forward runner, just like I'll try things and some will work and some won't. I won't be phased by that. So the marketing and the sales and how we positioned ourselves 
jobs in Asia was a really important thing. And I did spend a little bit of time studying in Beijing, so I sort of understood where wine slotted into the luxury mentality in Asia and that was relatively new and sort of a Western culture that was moving in there. So, yeah, that was a really critical area of the business that I was really happy in. What was just so difficult for me to do was... So we launched in Japan and the Japanese are very particular. Everything needs to be perfect. And we had this she'll be right attitude that didn't go down so well over there. So things that if the label was like a millimetre out... It was like the whole container was a no. those cultural aspects to your market, right? Yeah, and so I had to come back and this was sort of filling the, the gaps and get our quality control from here to up here. And so it's a startup. I mean, we were contract packaging for listed wine companies and they were fine with it, but our Japanese customers were not. We needed to change things and they were getting on a plane and coming to inspect things. So I was like, all right. Easier not to be in Japan than I right? need to. No, it was my biggest <laughs> yeah. market and yeah. my favourite market. And when you get in there, it's very hard work and they make you work. But once you're there, it's fantastic. And you've got these great relationships that are ongoing. But it just takes a little while to get there. And Australians are a little bit more casual where they're very formal. And so I've had lots of learning. And generally when I learn, I learn the hard way. So I had to go into the detail on the factory and do all the reporting and that stuff. I'm awful at, which I had to do. Yeah. You talk about the hard way. What was your biggest fall? Oh, well, I mean, how long have we got today? (laughs) To be honest, I probably didn't learn fast enough with the Japanese. You know, a very expensive mistake was... I raised some capital very early on off a business plan. And although I was pitching the business and I had my vision of where the company was going to go and I didn't realise that they were actually wanting to put money into the business to be a supplier to the business. And I wasn't able to look at it holistically. I wasn't able to get up in the helicopter and really understand why they were interested in the business because what was being communicated to me is that they really liked the innovation and the potential IP and all the expansion, but they actually didn't have the grand plans and the high growth, we're going to exit this and make it really big intentions that I did. That was really painful. So I outgrew that supplier within eight months and to be honest, the quality of the production they had was... I mean, there's many nights that I didn't sleep, actually most of them. And so I ended up having to buy them out at a really expensive price because I didn't really think about how this relationship was going to evolve as the business grew. Yeah. Was that a catalyst for you once you'd sold that to go into Star Vic and provide that type of service for other people? Yeah, absolutely. So... Although I had my family, it was a bit of a different business. So dad was really good with the wine side and the production, but the stuff that I was expanding and the IP and things was quite different and out of his wheelhouse. So I was spending a lot of time in the startup community. So I had great mentors. The thing about startups is everyone shares. And so you ask an entrepreneur, what did you do in this situation? Or can I have a coffee? I've got a problem. And they'll say, yep. And they'll just give you a complete download of how they solved a situation that was similar, trying to help you. So being CEO at Startup Victoria was a chance for me to give back and also have a bit of a holiday because I lived on a plane for many years and it was really starting to get my health down a little bit. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease during it. And so Crohn's disease and stress and aeroplane food, mm, just, just bad combo. 
So it's this like running this fabulous nonprofit that's at the nucleus of our high growth startup ecosystem was just fantastic. And so I could totally put all the things in place that I wanted to see as an entrepreneur. But now it's just going gangbusters. You know, now that the government's actually interested in entrepreneurship, where I had to go to the States to study entrepreneurship because it was a dirty word here in 2008 or whatever it was. So after start of Vic, you're now mm -hmm. with the investment group. So can you talk about that a little bit for us? Well, what corporate venturing Australia actually is, it's not investment. It is sort of like Startup Vic, but for corporate. So I've been playing in this corporate innovation space this year, and I thought I can go and run ventures within big corporates because you've got a business that's really successful now, but what does Horizon 2 and 3 look like? And so what I was looking at in the startup community, you've got businesses that can go in and shake up a business model or claw customers so quickly that that corporate doesn't even know what to do. And so it's a legitimate threat. And when a stock on the market is valued, the likelihood of disruption is part of that valuation, but it doesn't have a number, which is totally bizarre to me because disruption does have a number and depending on whether you're in insurance or property or marketplaces, whatever it is, it, it absolutely does have a number. So I've been playing in that space and I thought, right, I'm going to go do venturing and be an entrepreneur within a corporate. And what I realised is the whole mentality of moving quickly, challenging your biases and being able to leverage the larger group and taking on risk, all these things are completely opposite to the, why you would go and work at a corporate. So the people that are attracted to that space, there's no upside to trying something and getting it wrong and then potentially getting fired. So this notion of venturing is a very challenging one. So a corporate's got two options. They build something or they buy something. And so if you buy something, you need to sew it into the organisation in order for it to be properly effective, which is a really hard thing to do or you build it and then you need to attract the right talent in there. So all of the chief information and innovation officers, at the moment, they're not functioning like the startup community does, where they're sharing and saying, hey, we did this at a hackathon and this was the result, what did you do? Instead, it's very corporate and closed and I'm seeing these leaders reinvent the wheel internally within their organisations. So yeah, CVA is about bringing that community together. Awesome. Thank you very much, Georgia Beatty, <laughs> Corporate Venture Australia. Round of applause for Georgia, please. Thank you very much. Thank you all. So one of the great advantages of the family business is to have everybody pulling in the same direction with no secrets in the management process. But I bet that isn't always the case in every family business. Thanks, Georgia, and thank you to Penelope as well. Next time on Masters Series, How I Built My Business, we'll hear from two founders about the steps they took to go from great business idea to successful business outcomes. Until then, I'm Sad Pichanel Mish from Written and Recorded, and for We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series. <laughs>